and I, when I talk to, the, uh, to other people that are non-divers, which I think I talk to like three a year because I don't, you know. You don't like people. Well, it's not that I don't like them. Is I don't view non-divers as real people. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, when, when I talk about cave diving or whatever, because people invariably ask because I wear diving shirts or I carry a pair of fins on my back everywhere I go. I drive around with a scuba tank on my back. Anyway, what I'm getting at is people ask about it, and a lot of people show interest. And I try to tell them, you know, there's great diving locally. There's It's easy diving. It's reef diving. It's beautiful. You can, it's very safe. You know, I try to promote it in a good way. Um, I forget where I'm going with this shit, but I just ramble. I'm sure I just it was ramble. I'm sure I had a point. What was it, James? <laughs> your point was? James, clean is a state of mind, and your mind is not clean and it will never oxygen is not going to clean that mind i have a serious question for you oh shit are all wacky factors woo woo i don't know different types of wacky factors i don't know uh personally i you know i i say woo woo to appease the audiences The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. That's a great idea. going to listen to our podcast if we're not talking about pot smoking scuba instructors drunk on the deep dive welcome back everybody to the great dive podcast and we are back for another week of no nonsense no goofballery no silliness we're back to serious talk we had a couple of weeks of cayman cowboys and that's not silly, though. I don't believe that's silly. Talking about take, girls and... Brando takes uh, some offense to that last statement. <laughs> James Mott found it entertaining. Hey, write in to us. If you feel we should refer to ourselves in the third person from from henceforth, please let us know. Hence. Heretofore, so we, I will we be talked known a, as... We talked a little bit last week about good old Dr. Lee Summers. Good old... Good old, old boy. Dr. Lee. Is he a Cayman cowboy? He was a um, Michigan. He's a local yokel. Militia. He's more of a local yokel. Yes, a Michigan he's militia. He's a Michigan militiaman. I don't know if you want to start spreading that news. No, that no, maybe that's because, probably not. Yeah. People will take that. Like He was a Michigan. We're at the point where we're handcuffed with our language. We're almost, getting, we're almost getting censored. We are getting censored, but we're doing it ourselves. Hence, they've won. They've won. It's just okay. That's James all I'm going to say about that. James Mott feels like he's being censored. <laughs> James Mott is censoring himself. <laughs> James Mott feels like he's been censored by James Mott. Do you remember who was who was the crusader for uh, Constantine? No, for the going you know free speech in in radio. Howard Stern. Howard right? Stern. He was yeah. biggest voice. You yeah, know, one absolutely. Of the, and now he's very politically correct. And as a matter of fact, his biggest critics are like, "What the." Happened. He's been bit by the creature. Well, he, you know, people change. You get older and you start to see the reason for not just saying all the time. Sure. But by the same token, he's also become more part of the machine. You know, he's rich. He gets what he wants. He doesn't have to. Well, he doesn't get what he wants. He, does, he has to do what he, now he's really owned because he's owned by the money. Right. You don't really own money. It owns you. It's what I think. That's my personal opinion. Like you don't own a house, it owns you. Unless you yeah, truly yeah. own it, then maybe it doesn't own you as well, I much. Saw, I saw Fight Club. <laughs> first rule of Great Dive Podcast is never talk about Great Dive Podcast. Actually, no, the no. first rule of Great Dive Podcast is <laughs> to talk about Great Dive Podcast. First rule of TGDP. Yeah. Okay, so. Oli Summers is the topic of the day. 
So he wrote he wrote another article, one of many. And again, this was uh, this was not an article. I should change that. He wrote a paper entitled "Can Your Instructor Image Kill?" Jason, very good. I told you the other week. That's all I watched when I was a teenage kid. Maybe that explains some things. But. This paper, this was an official paper published in the Proceedings of the 14th International Conference on Underwater Education in 1983. At, is this part of the RSTC thing? Is, is that uh, he, was a, he was a NAWI guy, so this was actually well, RSTC reprinted is... in the uh, NAWI Diving Association News. Yeah. But this... Uh... Education this is, this is committee 1983, is this part. So let's kind of get in the times okay. of, of, of 1983. And it was far okay. as the scuba. Madonna. Oh, Madonna and scuba. Oh, wait, scratch. <laughs> so Madonna we're, 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 in a wetsuit. Is <laughs> this what you're thinking about? The 80s. See, all these youngsters are like 80s, man. I, I wasn't even born. We have 80s day in high school. That's what they're thinking about. That's the, yeah, yeah. That's so you they, dress up like Lee Summers and you write a paper. I don't. I don't think Lee <laughs> had the the high fashion sense of the eighties. He he was no. not a he was not hip to the, uh, the to take a quick glance at him. I would think you would think he's part of the establishment. Oh, he, oh definitely. He you would get that look in a day of you know in a day big with, collars and sweater in vests. A world. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, big big, big yeah. glasses. How old were you in the eighties? I was eighty three. Single digits. Eighty three. I'd have been uh, 10, 8, 7, 8 years old. So you're single digits still. I'm still, yeah. So you didn't really feel the eighties. It's like I didn't really feel most of the seventies. Started to because I was born in sixty five. So you got the. Yeah. I caught the late seventies, yeah, getting into like, my teen yeah, years like when you can really start yeah, yeah. to uh, process the the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But in the 80s, I was right in the middle of it. I am probably, yeah, 80s. Could have been worse. I mean, you could have been worse decades like the 90s. The oh. 90s absolutely suck. Oh. And so those those zeros, millennials have a bad. They just got it bad. They do. They don't know what it means to struggle. Their struggle is like, uh, you know, I can't get this app going. <laughs> that's their struggle. We, that's, makes me, you know, uh, that reminds me. Yeah. James Mott feels we need a TG- <laughs> <laughs> James Mott feels we need a TGDP app. Now you're see now you're thinking we need a millennial as an unpaid intern. Thing is they don't work, so we, <laughs> that's the word on the street. That's a big report out there now. Tiffany, they do not work. Tiffany, you got her app done yet? <laughs> Tiffany, you're just sitting there on Pinterest over there. What are you doing? Yeah, She's but Maya. do you remember Tiffany the singer? I, I remember her. She was 80s yeah, she singing was. in malls. She was known for her mall singing. She was a mall millionaire. My sister had all of her. Well, she wasn't a mall millionaire because she built malls and owned mill, malls. No, she, she because was a, she sang in them and right. promoted her record, her albums. Yeah, and became a do millionaire. People know, do kids today know what records are? If I said records, they would know. That means something you got to look up. Even an album, they don't know what an album is. No, they don't understand it. We say they, album. they buy it song by song. On yeah. CD is even looked at as is frowned if they, upon. If they even buy a song anymore. I was I was just reading something the other day about who was it? Peter Frampton, I think. His um his songs on like Spotify and these music hosting yeah. sites, like half a million, downloads. half a billion. I take that back. Like half a half billion, a billion downloads, five hundred million downloads, something ridiculous. Peter Frampton. And eh? He he got paid out like fifteen hundred bucks. Wow, like a, like a fraction of a penny. A fraction of a fraction of a fraction mm. of a penny. Well, you knew that play. was coming. You knew it was coming. It's rough times. Rough times. I don't know. Well, I mean, for, I, for I the, get it. Yeah. Artists, yes. For the, the artists, artists the creator. they're not becoming, you know, you billionaires. Know how, you know how much we're getting paid per download of TGDP? <laughs> a lot a more. A fraction than. of a fraction of a fraction. We actually owe money. <laughs> we actually have to pay money to have you download it. So please. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to those Patreon supporters. We're going Again, in. Again, <laughs> helping us out. Appreciate that, gang. Those of you who are buying stickers and t-shirts, thank you very much. Those of you who aren't. Go to the mall. Go to the Why mall. Why don't you go try to listen to us at the mall? Yeah. 
All right, so Back to Lee. now can your instructor image kill? So Lee starts the paper off by saying, recreational scuba diving instructors and instructors of other highly adventurous sports, such as mountaineering and skydiving, often fail to understand the role they might play in a student's lifestyle development. Although the UDT, Underwater Demolition Team, diving instructor image of the 1960s has been suppressed by the instructional certifying agencies, a few egocentric adventurers do still proudly wear the scuba instructor insignia. In combining the concepts of adventurism and egotism with an exciting sport such as scuba diving, the ingredients exist to produce a potentially undesirable instructor image. Fundamental human needs to experience excitement, adventure, and even risk exist to varying degrees in all of our students. Unknowingly, an instructor may stimulate significant psychological changes in a student. Lee says, my opinions are subjective, not objective. As a diving instructor, instructor training course director, traveling diver, Sea Grant Marine Advisory Services Specialist. Here we go. And a consultant. Lee Summers in diving, that. <laughs> in diving accident investigations. I have had the opportunity to interview divers, observe instructors, and review diving accidents for many years. I have continuously asked myself this question. Should I have said continually or continuously? <sighs> Why did this accident occur? The thing with why, and everybody, I love it. I mean, I'm always asking why, too. But until you can get into a dead man's mind, you don't know why. You won't know why. I mean, you can speculate. You can speculate. That's, to me, that's great. That's what you should be doing. It's not allowed out there because you're bad-mouthing the, the person. If you, the deceased. Yeah, yeah, which is utterly ridiculous. But Why do divers have accidents? Why? Why not? Why do divers have accidents? James Mott asks why. James Mott was wondering something today. Yes. Why do divers have accidents? At one time or another, I feel that every instructor has asked himself or herself these questions. Why do divers die? Although the number of diving accidents, fatal or non-fatal, that occur each year is relatively small, the fact remains that they do occur. Fact. Fact. Diving accidents happen. To what degree is an instructor's image responsible for those accidents? Subjectively, some authorities might say divers are injured or die under adverse environmental conditions. Therefore, the environment is the causation factor. Or divers die in caves, therefore caves kill divers. See, and that's Not a really, it's, true. That is says. a fallacy. It's a great fallacy in any argument. The environment is a given. It is something you can't, like, remove. You're going into the environment. The, the environment is what it is. Right. The environment isn't bad. And it's the inanimate. The environment isn't it's safe. Inanimate. The environment it, yeah. is the environment. Yeah, it it is not it. a uh, something with a thought or a conscience. It's not making a decision. There's something making a decision, right? <laughs> I don't know. You ever you hear the howl of the ghost when you get 100 feet inside on that uh, gold line? That's me. That's me. That was you. Yes, <laughs> my head going. <laughs> I thought that I thought there was ghosts just every time we dove together. No, down no I'm just trying to scare you guys, but it seems to be working. Lee Summers suggests that divers injure or kill themselves. Many of the accidents which I have reviewed appear to be the result of an irresponsible or irrational act by the injured or the deceased party. So, um, in some cases, such actions have also led to mishap for other divers. With regard to the environment, I must then ask, why would a diver enter into an environmental situation which is obviously beyond the scope of his or her training, experience, and equipment? Well, a couple of reasons. He doesn't know. He or she doesn't know. You don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, this is the biggest thing you need to get through, to, in my humble opinion, to your students. Listen, you're going out into a world of things you don't know. None of us have this, you know, crystal ball that we can see everything. I recommend to people looking for instructors is get somebody who's dived in many environments. They will give you a little bit of wisdom. That, to me, is very important versus, okay, I've got a 1,000 dives, but they're all in, say, for example, Grand Cayman, clear, warm water. Or you have a thousand dives only in the Great Lakes, kind of thing. You know, 
although it's it's good although it's good, good diving, experience it's good it's, it's not it's not broad. all encompassing yeah. right so that's my opinion so though. yeah yeah so it, it, you could have a really fantastic instructor right. down in the Caribbean, down in the Cayman Islands, exactly. like you said, but it doesn't necessarily prepare you for the the bite of jumping into forty two degree water, right, out in the Great Lakes or like, extreme low vis. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. I'm with you. Or there. surge or current, and God forbid you're dumb enough to jump into a cave without cave training, because that is a whole nother creature. There's protocol and techniques to make it. And I think that's Safer. where, yeah, I think that's where Lee's going is, is like that image that you have as an instructor. Are you setting that student up with the reality that they're getting this experience? Perhaps not yeah. this broad experience, and and letting them know rather than are, are you just beating your chest saying I'm I'm super instructor. You know, my initial image of the article from the title and the beginning is his. Uh, objection i guess or his what he's trying to point out is the instructor who's chest beating is portraying this image like this is this daredevil sport or activity which makes the student the student who who looks up to him think oh i can be that daredevil i want to be like him exactly so in order right. to be That's like him he's going to do stupid i mean he's going to jump into areas that he shouldn't be in some diving instructors fail to impress upon diving students the concept of personal limitation. Too often, a diver seeking the excitement and adventure of the underwater experience is under the impression that the sea card is a symbol of unlimited capability, the underwater superperson syndrome. I do not feel that any instructor knowingly creates such a diver. Again, this is 1983. Yeah. I suggest, however, that all instructors reevaluate their training programs to assure that understanding of the concept of personal limitation is impressed on each student. Some students simply do not have and may never have had the physical and emotional capacity to endure the rigors of cold, deep Great Lakes diving. They may prove to be excellent and safe divers at depths of 30 to 50 feet on a tropical reef, the diver must know, understand, and accept this personal limitation, and an instructor must not attempt to push the diver beyond this personal limitation. Very good. Yeah, that's a that's a demand that uh, an instructor needs to have is to be able to realize there's a a ton of different people coming into scuba for right. a ton of different reasons, and although you are a cave diver, although you are a tech diver yourself. There's a lot of people coming in that they just want to be in 30 feet and look at some uh, reefy fishies. And to reefy fishies? Reefy fishies. James Mott likes reefy fishies. James Mott loves reefy fishies. But to, but to put all, the, put all the, 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 the demand of, of technical diving on you know, my mom wanting to take a class so she can do Why would uh, we put all the a, demand of technical th- diving on your mom? Everybody's to demand go, of to go man. everybody's to <laughs> go all. to go diving in thirty feet, you know, on a on a drift in Cozumel or something. Does your mom right? know she's used for all these examples? No, she doesn't <laughs> listen to the show. Surely she thinks. Surely that, you can't she, be serious. She thinks it's a, some crazy thing I do. <laughs> it's another one of my son's crazy, crazy activities. Here we go again. Yeah, so there, there's that role model of mine, and, and I and I get trying to. Pass on your knowledge, your experience, your belief. It's very, very important. But being able to read your student as well is important. Like, there's a lot of instructors I know that that are that are really good instructors, if and only if they have the right student. And they just they don't have the ability to adapt their class to their students. Like they they teach a good program, but everybody's getting the exact same program. You know that that carbon copy cookie cutter. I mean, right down to that's pushed at, by the agency. You know, right too, down at their defense, James. Like thirty six minutes in, I'm given yeah. the shark joke. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all rehearsed because you've done ten million of them. Yeah, but I think in their defense, it's pushed by the agencies. They want a cookie cutter course. That's what they want. They want the same course for everybody because from a legal standpoint. Y'all got the same course. They're not dying. When you die, they didn't die. You got the same course. That's all on you now. Which, again, ultimately, ultimately, everybody's responsible for themselves. 
Ultimately, yes. Right? You make decisions yeah, yeah. every day. You made well, the decision to go on the dive. So it can all go back to that now. Sure, but at the same time, you know, you're your attitude as an instructor of, right. could skew somebody's yeah. rationale of making a only decision it, for themselves. Only if they want it to be skewed. Well, sure, sure. That's where you, you kind of, we, we, that's we. where James Mott has a responsibility <laughs> <laughs> to be able to read that in a student. Each and every honest instructor reading this may identify with a personal experience. At one time or another, any instructor may have assumed the role of super instructor. Super instructor, you're finally here. <laughs> here I come to save the day. Yay, super instructor. <laughs> super instructor's here. Super instructor, will you sign my fins? Super instructor, I can't get my snorkel attached to my master hat. <laughs> that <laughs> snorkel's for bad people. <laughs> for some instructors, teaching diving is an egocentric experience. All teachers enjoy the gratification of sharing knowledge and developing a student's ability to participate in an activity that they themselves have found to be so pleasurable and rewarding. To varying degrees, we each experience our own renewed excitement as we share each new student's adventure. In any class, we have 10 students with 10 different reasons for being there, with 10 different expectations, and with 10 sets of problems. In other words, we have 10 individuals. As instructors, we can graduate 10 individuals, each with his or her own sense of expectation and limitation. Well, I have to take take issue it's not always 10 that's all i'm going to say right there i only had six in my last <laughs> i'm gonna have six of this seven of that three of one these 15 commandments <laughs> wait <laughs> these 15 students <laughs> 10 students <laughs> so he goes on to he's gonna he's gonna create for us this hypothetical negative stereotype. Negative stereotyped. <laughs> Negative stereotyped scuba instructor. James Mott needs to work. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> she sells seashells. Down by the seashell. Syphilis. Peter Paper. Peter Paper. Syphilis. Peter Syphilis. Okay, now I'm ready. Five years ago, this instructor made his first cave dive in north central Florida. You're right. He was bitten by the cave diving bug. From that day forth, he would eat, breathe, and sleep cave diving. He found fulfillment, excitement, and adventure that he never before realized. He trained, purchased all the proper equipment, and acquired experience. He was a cave diver. Probably, technically, a good cave diver. As a scuba instructor, however, in a northern state, he was losing control of his enthusiasm. He taught his basic scuba classes with a new zeal. He included many examples and pictures of cave diving experiences. Each item of equipment was discussed as it might be selected for cave diving. The students learned about 55-watt, four-hour burn diving lights. <laughs> that thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> it is now. I know. 55-watt. <laughs> Uh, safety line reels and special BCs. They learned to kick to avoid silting, finger walking, and blackout diving in the pool. The day for open water training arrived. Our instructor appears at the local 30-foot deep quarry wherein twin 100-cubic-foot scuba with a dual manifold and two regulators, one with a 5-foot hose, Three knives, a chest-mounted cave diver's BC, and three underwater lights for exploring the inside of a sunken automobile. Sounds like me. I was going to say, I've, I've James Mott done this. It sounds like James Mott. <laughs> I don't, I don't wear that exact equipment, but I get his point. When I, yeah, when I, I wear, I wear diving, what I dive. I wear yeah. what I dive. Exactly. Well, that's the point of it. Is where would you dive and die, you know? And I, yeah, I teach how I dive. Bingo. Some of the students express humor, while others are mesmerized. For a few, the total basic course experience had been captivating. Although they had never seen a real underwater cave, they too have been bitten by the cave diving bug. The quarry, the ocean, the reef, 
and all of the other facets of scuba diving were now secondary in their minds. In their mind's eye, their diving world was the cave. Well, I think he's exaggerating a bit, but I no I, doubt I, there is some some truth to that. And I, I think the the instructor and he does did admit that uh, he's creating the negative stereotype. But I think uh, I don't, know I don't if think that's there's that anything. Ro- I don't think though. there's anything wrong yeah. with an instructor showing up like this, but not showing where the values are of of his equipment in relation to the, the octo and the BCD. I think that he's just trying to give him more of an education in other words and i've been here this could be me in a little sense there because i come back from cave training i did my idc and i did cave training went down there for a month and did it all so i had both all that going on in my head when i was teaching the idea that you have to produce a cave diver out of open water 101 is well it's disadvantageous to the student in general because you can't set somebody up in an open water class thinking that they're ready to go cave diving because you've got hundreds of dives of experience that you need to get, right? And that's the whole I mean, On one hand, I get like bringing that knowledge into an open water class to to refine those edges and be able to answer the questions that do come up to a new diver that that really yeah. is how many got times that blossoming you know opening attacked mind. by a shark yes <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but having that experience is great but at the same time you need to send that person out of open water knowing they need a large number of dives in thirty feet of water before well, they ex- move to sixty thank you. and they need to get really comfortable in sixty and eighty before they go to a hundred right. But in our current education model that they're using, the major agencies, yeah, that's, see, that's two weekends. Yeah, you're well. You've got <laughs> your open water, then you're advanced the next weekend, and maybe three weeks later you're a dive master. I love continual education. I don't like the speed in which they push it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they- I like them to say, "Listen, you need to have experience on your own in the environment that we've taught you to dive in, because all we wanted you to do was go out and get experience, and then move up." Anyway, that's going off the beaten track of this article, but it's still part of it. Yeah. It is now spring vacation time. Four of the divers from this class must fulfill their overwhelming desire to experience the The cave. cave. (laughs) They arrive in north central Florida with standard scuba diving equipment. Two conventional underwater lights among the four of them. 100 feet of plastic line on a $9.95 line retainer a shiny sea card, and eight quarry dive experiences. As they enter the crystal clear water of Howard Slough, in their minds, they are not novice open water scuba divers. Rather, they picture themselves as they saw their instructor. They're apprentice to super instructor. Only two <laughs> of these super instructor apprentice divers return to the surface alive. Did that, is that the word they used? <laughs> no. Just, oh, okay. I just ad-libbed it after your ad <laughs> right, I was like, wow, I nailed that one. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Only two of these divers return to the surface alive. Is... <laughs> I like the way you, I like yeah. Super Apprentice. Some readers may interpret the above story as a ridiculous fantasy. It is a fictional portrayal. Yet, for those of us who review accidents... It has a sobering aura of reality. Why did these divers die? What was their motivation to enter the cave? Could it have been imitation of their hero, their scuba instructor? Now, I, I think the picture gets painted in a couple of ways in this because I think if the instructor came in teaching the super cave class to his open water dives and let them leave with their uh, plastic buckled jacket BCDs, snorkel and you know split fins in today's diving you know equipment thinking that that was acceptable gear to enter a cave in he did a damn poor job showing up in his cave gear and not illustrating the differences between what they have and what he has and what the evolution of training and equipment is going to be yeah okay well let me put this to you too as well as so we've been through cave training i mean one of the biggest thing that's emphasized is is the uh, how many people die that are not cave trained, how much uh, experience plays an important part of cave diving, how much you need, you know, other experience besides cave diving to become a good cave diver. 
In other words, when you come out of cave diving, one of the biggest things that's drilled into your head is, hey, man, this kind of diving is not for the guy out of open water. That's and you, should be what, what's... I mean, I think it is. I, th- I, I believe the cave diving instructional community is very responsible in that respect. For the most part, I would agree I would, with you. But there's still there are still instructors that come back with that bit of egoy attitude that still present a little bit of this image. Yeah. I don't think it's as pro, well, you, pro, can, pro, you can't get I don't think it's as much it. today yeah. as it was in the '80s. But I would say it's just like the the instructor that you know does the wall dive in wherever and came and and hits a hundred and hundred and forty feet, hundred and sixty feet of water, right, and then. You know, sitting around after the Saturday dives of of the open water weekend when everybody's having dinner and telling stories, boastfully talks about his diving deep to 160 feet. But he tells the story as though he's in, he's the instructor. He really knew what he was doing. He uh, he's uh, he he's got weight. That's all. Yeah. In reality, you and I know he just lived. Right. And uh, it was a foolish. Right, he's pushed that, that, he did, that but bar he sell, of mistakes. But he sells the story well, yeah. as yeah. his knowledge and experience. And I think what, where Lee's going is when that attitude, you know, he used the one of the cave diver here, I just used the one of the wall diving instructor there. But at the end of the day, I think it's the same attitude is you're selling a lie, kind of. Yeah. And those students have the potential for walking out of that class. I agree, and I, I mean, I agree with the whole premise that your behavior does have an effect on the students. I also agree that there's a level of responsibility a student has to take to, for themselves. No matter what, the person ultimately is responsible for themselves. So he talks more about instructor influence and says that uh, the situations described have ranged from harmless misinterpretation to unbelievable horror stories. <laughs> The impression that instructors make on their students in class and during guided diving trips can encompass a wide range of results. The majority of participants have a safe, pleasant experience. Some students and parents simply turn off to diving. This is a loss for our diving community. On the other hand, some students turn on to reckless, irresponsible diving. And that can be said with any activity, you know. Any activity. You know, why do some doctors become drug addicts? You know, well, it's reckless, it's irresponsible, but, it you happens. know, it's, it's part of the thing called being human. We do crazy shit. Sometimes that pushing that envelope and that kind of attitude with all aspects of life, you know, this cowboy. Is this, a, is this turning into cowboy, cowboy month? <laughs> it is. <laughs> cowboy month on TV? You know what I mean? We've always tried to push the limit. That's humanity, and and some people have that uh, characteristic a little more than others. No matter what you do, how responsible you are as an instructor, they're going to find a way to push that. You know, they're going to go do crazy ass stuff. He talks a little bit about booze, although a large majority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, booze. <laughs> Although a large majority of divers indulge in social drinking of alcohol, I feel that all instructors should discourage the consumption of alcohol in conjunction with diving and diving instruction. Keep in mind, this is the 80s. Alcohol is an adverse factor relative to nitrogen narcosis, decompression sickness, and cold. Intoxication can lead to irrational and irresponsible actions. One instructor supplied beer to be consumed during the first lecture. And the last student to arrive at each Who's lecture. Who's this guy? Where the hell was he when I... <laughs> Where's he when I took my uh, Today's class... Listen, the class Please, has been uh, moved to Jimmy's Pub. <laughs> Please open your Budweiser long necks. <laughs> uh, whoever gets the lowest score on this quiz buys the next round. Buys the next round. <laughs> During the first lecture... Well, oh, wait, hey, wait. in and, his defense, in his defense, uh, Module 4, uh, Fizzy Bubbles, it's yeah. a great demonstration. <laughs> they don't longer call it Module 4. I'm still brainwashed <laughs> from many students. I think you still got a contact buzz. From Module 4. <laughs> from Module 4. The last student to arrive at each lecture class period was asked to furnish the beer for the next class period. Certainly, the student did not have to drink, but most did 
Does this type of situation develop a proper attitude towards safe diving? Nearly every time I've been on a dive charter boat in the Caribbean or the Bahamas, I have seen instructors, group leaders drinking beer between dives, and in some cases, considerable amounts. Now, I think this is a, 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 a relatively primitive dive operation again back in the late 70s early 80s that he's referring to i wouldn't i wouldn't say this is prevalent in 2018 this attitude i think we've long established the when there's a time to drink and when there's not a time to drink and we both agree it's beer 30 chapter chapter (laughs) four (laughs) yes review of a fatal diving accident revealed all night drinking motel bathtub filled with beer and partially consumed flask of liquor in the victim's dive bag. You say that like it's bad. <laughs> like was it's a on, bad thing. Was he on our boat? Who's this guy? I am not suggesting that diving instructors go on the wagon. Proper and controlled social drinking at the end of the diving day is acceptable in our society. The prudent instructor, however, will set a good example and not mix alcohol or intoxication with diving. And I think the industry has well made that aware over the last you know, 20, 20, 30 years that, hey, there's nothing wrong with uh, going out for beers at the end of the day, but well, knocking back a sixer between yeah, dives. Let's scratch this a little deeper, though. I mean, where does this come from? It's permeated through culture, social culture, period. Any, uh, you know, adventure, any risk-taking. When you finish it and you're successful, you go have a few beers. You celebrate with a, a cocktail of some type, you know, it, and, and sometimes it's, to excess, it's tradi- on television. Yeah, yeah there's it's a on, tradition to it, yes. Yeah, no well, it's a cultural it. thing, it's, uh, and it's been, like I say, it's been input in the programming of culture. So that's one of the biggest reasons that happens. Like, you know, and, and I don't think Lee is doing that, singling out diving for it. I, I don't either, no. Yeah, diving hits the checkboxes as far as a risky, adventurous undertaking, and you want to come off as this, you know, careless, carefree, risk-taker, I'm just going to go have a few shots after my incredible dive kind of guy. Like you and I. And uh, all you whiny whiners. <laughs> <laughs> And go back to your your iPhones, bitches. Well, if if you're not into alcohol and diving, you can always get into some street drugs and diving. Consumption of drugs, Lee says, is a major social phenomenon. Unfortunately, divers do smoke pot, snort cocaine, and pop pills. A few diving instructors and group leak. Have you group- ever tried heroin? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you he, see he failed to mention shooting up hands. Shooting up horse, baby. <laughs> a few diving instructors and group leaders have apparently been encouraging such activities. One organization sponsoring dive trips allegedly informed the participants that they had selected an island where anything you wanted was readily available and that guides would be glad to assist in purchases. Allegations of pot dives where the diver could experience a new <laughs> pot dives. New dimension in narcosis have come to my attention. Tales of a diving group called the Death Seekers have filtered the through. The Death Seekers. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> have filtered through the diving community. Allegedly, the combination of depth and drugs provides a unique, if not terminal, experience. Is, is Lee saying this is bad or good? <laughs> well, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. There's an application the to the depth, depth seekers. There's an application to the depth seekers at the. Are they death, death seekers death, or depth? Death. Death. I'm sorry. There's what if death. we change it, the club name to <laughs> Death Seekers in honor of the Death Seekers? Maybe. What if we change the Great Dad podcast to the Death Seekers podcast? Depth Seekers podcast. Maybe we should start what smoking we... pot and doing this <laughs> podcast. I bet we'd get more listeners. Hello. Hey, man. Hello. Anybody out hey. there? Is Dave home? <laughs> <laughs> Dave's not here. Um, he says, I do not wish to pass judgment on the social habits of any group or individual. I do suggest that encouragement of drug usage in conjunction with recreational or commercial diving is unacceptable. Well, of course. I think... Um, Sky's blue. I, I think grass is uh, green. <laughs> Do we have any other? I don't, 
I'm I'm being a little exaggerated. I think he's uh, yeah. stretching. But I'll, although I do there. remember stories of you know Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead was a was a big scuba diver, and uh, spent a lot of time down in the Cayman Islands doing a bunch of diving. And he he you're assuming he said, I think you're assuming said, a lot about old Jerry. No, no, I I read I read an article, forget which magazine it was in. This was back in the uh, the early '90s. I remember I distinctly remember. Jerry Garcia describing a, a reef dive. I believe it was a dive that he did in the Cayman Islands. No, he said it was the closest thing you can get oh. to doing mushrooms. Was you know seeing all the colors on the on the reef. I would dive. disagree. As a man who just took <laughs> some mushrooms before this podcast, I would disagree. He's a regular consumer of mushrooms. I have mushrooms on my pizza all the time, and I don't get anything like that. <laughs> well, if booze doesn't do it. And smoking the pot doesn't do sex. it. He's going to come down on sex now. Is Lee like, I hate vice. I hate vices. The person without a vice, do not trust that person. They've got a closet do vice, not, and it's worse than all of our vices combined. Do not trust put me. your penis in a giant clam. That's where we're going. <laughs> true facts. Hashtag true facts. No, his next one is deep diving. If a diving instructor can dive deep, why can't his or her students? They are approximately the same physiologically, and they use the same equipment. Certainly experience is a factor, but does experience justify air scuba diving in excess of all acceptable limits recognized by instructional agencies and physiological experts? So we jump back to old Brett, who would argue this point, I believe, because his whole basis is experience. His experience allows him to do this. Well, yeah. He built up. You know, according to him, his own why, words. So I think if we go back a, to what Lee was saying, Lee saying an is, ability to uh, adapt. Yeah, right. And I, what Lee's saying is that fine line of of imparting that attitude onto the student and not letting them walk out, like we just described of the the deep wall diving instructor in the Cayman who hits one sixty on his computer and then talks at the uh, you know at the the party at the end of the open waters about how. I went to 168, and he sells the story of doing it with knowledge and experience rather than he just hit the number on his gauge for bragging rights. Following one such instructor's dive, some of the other divers on a trip decided to also make a deep dive on the last day of the trip. Apparently, the instructors had their deep dive earlier in the trip and talked about it throughout the rest of the dive trip. He uses trip right a, a lot in that sentence. The other members of the group had been limited to acceptable depths. Unknown to the group leaders, at least two divers proceeded over the wall to about 270 feet, exhausted their air supply, and ascended rapidly. One bent. From a diver's point of view, the water was clear and warm, and the dive seemed easy. The instructors did it. Why shouldn't we? Did the other live? One bent. Is that all, man? That's all it says. One bent. That's not bad odds. That's something like, 50%. dude, you just convinced me to go do that. <laughs> Lee, this is a bad, bad thing. The influence of an instructor and his assistants is illustrated by one experimental case. One instructor elected not to state the depth limit during the course. Rather, he used proper examples and objective lecture presentations. On the final examination, he asked the question, Based on what you have learned in this course, what do you feel is an acceptable depth limit for your future recreational scuba diving? With the exception of one student, the students ranged from 60 to 100 feet. One student answered 160. When asked how the student arrived at that figure, he replied, After class one night, I overheard you and the assistants planning a rec dive to 160 feet. In regard to deep diving, I do not wish to imply that my standards be imposed on any individual. I do suggest that the prudent instructor limit his or her diving activities to those consistent with acceptable diving practices as recommended by the certifying agencies when in the presence of students or guiding dive trips. It might also be prudent to practice what you preach. Diving is fun. The vast majority of diving instructors... Diving is fun. In case you didn't know, no. there's something I need to tell you. Diving is fun. The vast majority of diving instructors, the certifying agencies, the equipment manufacturers, and dive shop personnel all promote diving as a pleasurable experience. 
Unfortunately, a few individuals are so pleasurable experience oriented that they neglect to inform the student of the potential risk associated with the sport. Students have a right to be fully aware with the potential risk as well as the fun associated with the diving experience. And the instructor is legally and morally obligated to inform the student of such risk. Risk can be presented in a positive manner, which will inform, not turn off students. Yeah, but also aren't... Aren't we handcuffed as instructors? We can't talk about all the bad things that happen in scuba diving. Well, I, th- I think that's uh, kind of where his point was, is and a lot of dive shops kind of yeah, to cool, sell cool. it all is rosy, happy, yeah. fun. Oh, you're having fun, and you know when you want to tell somebody that they need to work on things like buoyancy, balance, and trim, and how it's going to. But pay they go, them why? Dividends What's the big the deal? It's a lot of work for nothing. Yes, you got a lot of instructors out there who just say, hey, shut up, don't say anything. They just want to get in the water. They just want to have fun. There's a lot of shop owners that do that. Correct. Because they're worried worried about losing money. Right. When I, I would say that if you did the opposite and took the time to make those things core values in somebody's diving practice yes. that they would spend way more money because they're going to have way more fun and be way more confident in the long run. I would say even in the medium run and to a certain extent in the in the short run. Yes, the long run, you, you'll pay huge dividends because the divers are going to stay diving longer. They may explore other avenues of diving like tech diving and cave diving, which means more training, more diving, and, and more amounts of more money. Yeah, equipment. They're going to come in and they're also going to talk about diving to their non-diving friends, which promotes even more diving. Because they're going to feel they actually have a value yes. to their knowledge and ability. Exactly. I'm with you there. Every instructor must judge what are realistic or unrealistic student performance requirements. The certifying agencies recommend a minimum standard. How far beyond that standard is realistic? One student informed me that the instructor required his students to sprint the length of a football field in full wetsuits with a scuba cylinder on their backs. (laughs) Another instructor apparently requires that all students, including small women, climb out of the pool with 70 cubic feet of scuba (laughs) cylinders on their backs in deep water and without using a ladder. I once... (laughs) I once observed a scuba instructor demonstrating and directing his students in a forward roll entry with scuba from a 20 to 30 foot high quarry cliff. So like doing a jumping front somersault yeah. off a 30 foot What's wrong quarry with that? cliff. <laughs> uh, we had an instructor that used to always do the front front flip off the into the water, but he's, you know, he's on a single tank lightweight little scuba rig yeah but like for a, a new a, diver a foot. I, and he, I did, and he don't didn't do it as and he didn't yeah. do it as a uh you um, do what i'm doing do what thing. i'm doing he was just kind but, of showing off his yes. like his now you see that cool demeanor and his yeah. character on the on generally like that last dive going in he did but in that case thing. i but think you want to know how many tried it tried everybody it after well i mean that's something they look at and go i gotta go do that if he's oh, doing right, if he showed me it must be safe yeah. Right. <laughs> James, was this was this you? <laughs> was this <What>? you? <laughs> it was, wasn't it? We, truth be wait, told. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I didn't think you'd find out. Well, the way you the way you defended him. I mean, in his defense, he's kind of a cool guy. Well, <laughs> I like the clothes I mean, he wears I mean, the, and he student, listens to cool music. In the student's defense, you know, uh, it, it seemed like a, a pretty <laughs> rational <laughs> thing to do. The student in the, in in the, the instructor's defense, defense. In the student's defense, he was wearing the same color fins. <laughs> no, I, th- I think in the that particular. Defense, he'd done that before. He done did that before. Yeah, in that particular instance, I to me that's kind of irresponsible. I mean, that's like diving down to 160 in your open water. Class, you know, but I'm going down. See you later. And then right. come up going, right, yeah, right. I just bobbed down to 160 in a single tank by myself. To me, that's not exactly equivalent, but semi-equivalent. Yeah, it's it's all, it's all the same thing as, you know, harping on students for all these little pre-dive tasks to do. And then, and you then don't blowing do, them yeah. off yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I'm a super instructor. I don't uh, need to. I don't need to do this stupid shit. Well, especially in front of the students, I, I think you got to... You got to show them, like, hey, see, I do this in real life. 
Right, and I think that's how I like to teach. Is goes both ways. Is this is how I really dive with that goddamn. It's snorkel. not just a bunch of lip service. Yeah, you know, me giving you this silly acronym to remember right. how to do your thing. This is how I really get in the water. This is how I dive. dive. Yeah, which is what I think students are paying for. I'm paying for that instructor to teach me what he does. You know, it goes to that. I don't wear a snorkel in real life. Why in the would I carry a snorkel attached on a to your dive? head? Yeah, I don't even wear, wear I Underwater. mean, when I teach, I carry one in my pocket because they make me. But I just have never used one in 30 years. I've never found a reason to use it, and it's a ridiculous piece of equipment that is unnecessary. Anyway, that's just an example, one example. You know, it's just like the shops that require you to dive their gear, and in real life, you don't dive their gear. What do you think about that? There's a, a good topic for discussion. I can see that both ways. Yeah, and that's what yeah, I yeah. mean. That's a hard one to answer sure. because you've got to promote the business. And that ultimately, well, you've got to look in the mirror well, and you then go, You're going to have to make a choice of yes. I'm, working for, I'm teaching for myself or I'm teaching for the, the shop. Thank right? you. So I want to impart what I do and what I teach. Right. Or I want and, and find my own students or I want the shop to hand me students. Right. That's the that's the decision you got to make. Okay, Um Realistic or unrealistic? I must let each reader draw his or her own conclusion. Possibly there is a place in our present-day diving society for the civilian seal along with the survivalist movement. So in conclusion, Lee says, Time and space do not permit presentation of numerous other examples or allegations that have come to my attention over the years. Furthermore, I wish to state that relatively few instructors have been involved in the types of activities described above. I think specifically he means pot smoking. Yeah, drugs and booze in between diving. Right, 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 right. Well, that's true. I mean, no matter what activity you're doing, you're going to find somebody. I mean, look at the freaking medical profession. You've got doctors doping up and then doing surgery. Right. Now, is that all the doctors? It's hardly any. It's a minuscule fraction, but... It's, That's not what Dateline. Well, made, made, made it definitely believe. stands out because it's it's the unusual, right. but it doesn't you. sell, you know, magazines or stories. If if you just say, yeah, everything's good, nobody's going to listen to our <laughs> podcast if we're not talking about pot smoking scuba instructors <laughs> drunk on the deep dive, shooting up horse, baby. Every year, hundreds of instructors and group leaders conduct instruction. Where did you come up with horse? Horse is <laughs> I didn't know you were hip to all Pure H, man. I didn't know you were hip you to don't all know the my names. <laughs> I was just going to look up. Are they still calling it horse? I watched Starsky and Hutch. Come on, man. Can I, can I get a bundle of Bronco from you? <laughs> Huggy Bear would tell me that he, he lays down the dope, baby. Every year, hundreds of instructors and group leaders conduct instructional and travel programs with the highest standards of safety and social behavior. However, I encourage all diving instructors and group leaders to evaluate themselves and their programs and ask themselves, what kind of image do I portray? Example is the most powerful teaching and leading technique that you can use. Your image is a primary determinant of the quality of diver you will produce. Yeah, we also call it H. We also call it smack. You want some smack? Do you know why they called a heroin horse? I just learned this. No. Because they used to, uh, they would give it to horses and it would kick them into overdrive for racing, I guess. Really? It does the opposite. It says, why heroin is called horse? Because... It kicks equines into overdrive. Morphine and other opiates, which lull humans to sleep, also trigger the ancient equine flight response. Equine, equine, whatever. In the wild, pursued by predators, a horse runs as fast as he can or he dies. There you go. Dang. H. Horse. So your image is the primary determinant of the quality of student that you put out. I wouldn't say it's primary. I would argue that. I would say it's definitely an influencing factor, but I wouldn't say it's primary. I think the primary. I think a lot of students come in and they've, especially nowadays, they've they've already got made up in their mind what what yeah, kind what of they're going to be and what they're going to do. Thank you. But in the eighties, I can see that you know uh, all you had were a couple of magazines. Maybe you caught a uh, Jacques Cousteau show here and there, but for the most part, you're coming in and that instructor really was going to impart an attitude. Well, sure, but I don't think it's primary. I think it's influential. I don't think it's primary. I think primary is the individual student's makeup and who they are. 
and you know how they approach education and and that type of thing. And I, I know we have an influence on it I, for we sure. And we a certainly large have an influence. influence. And I think that I think the the instructor has a a bigger influence than I think you're saying. But I think it's because I, I think that's where a student, or I should say, I, I think that's where an instructor really has an, has the needs to have the ability to read his student and know what he's going to put out know the attitude that that student's going to have read it and tailor the education to that so when when you've got that firecracker of a student that you can see right from day one is going to put themselves on the line yeah they're going to kill themselves they're going to they're going to be the i'm going deeper than everybody else kind of student you 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 tailor that class to make them realize the value of the experience before going too fast you try well i think and then you you try to put that in everybody yeah yeah and then you get the 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 really really timid person that you know is a lot better than they really are they just don't have the confidence yet you you tailor the dive to make them successful in ways that that builds and grows their confidence yeah Yeah, yeah. that's that's the job of you can't do the same exact 25 foot dive for 20 minutes on the same route doing the same thing and expect all of your students to react and, and grow the same way. Yeah, people are different. They learn differently and they uh, react differently to different circumstances. So it, it's all how they process it in their head. And again, that is the reason I go, ultimately, the diver's responsible for themselves. I mean, yes, the instructor has a responsibility to give them the best education they know how, but ultimately the diver makes the decision. And yes, the instructor had influence on that decision, but is not making the decision. I mean, you, this is a very slippery slope if you start sure. saying the instructor is responsible for the student's decisions. They have influence on it, but they're not responsible for it. You know, it's like all things in society. You, if you start blaming everything in the person's makeup that brought them to that point where they made a decision to do something stupid, nobody's responsible for anything. My first grade teacher taught me to eat paste or whatever, and I, I ate something that looked like paste. I don't know. I don't know what kind of first grade teacher that person is, <laughs> but they were eating paste. What the hell did you go to Do you school? remember? I, I had a couple of kids in the class that were eating paste, and I was like, it smelled good. You know, the minty I, paste? I, I, you remember I, I, that? I, I never had a. You never Well, because in your day, oh, no, no, they had, had gone paste. Oh, you had the minty but, paste? But, but I, I don't. Oh, man. I the kids ever, used to eat it. Some I know, of the kids. but I don't ever remember you didn't eat grabbing it, the paste going, I want a bite. Well, it smelled good. But I, yeah, I was I, a picky I didn't, eater. I didn't like this. I was a picky I was like, eater. Uh, that minty, sweet. No, I uh, just wanted a fruit roll up. When I, whenever I smell it now, it just I'm transported back. <laughs> Kindergarten, first taste. I never ate paste. It was not. I was not one of those kids. Well, anyway, what's your conclusion here? I like the article. It's a great article, and I like how it it does bring out the the fact that you know instructors have an influence on students' behavior post class. Yeah, and I think I try to conduct a class departing uh, a thought pattern in my student that I can look back and and know that when they enter a situation, they will have an inner dialogue of fictional super instructor James Watt. (laughs) And like, what what, what would he have said? What would he have done? And and how would he he have... WWJD. What would James do? (laughs) That's where that that's where that came from. Those Christians stole it from Stole me. it, bastards. And the fish that's give, where, is that's a where giveaway. That's where we originally had that. But you know what you know what I mean? Like like I want my students I I, I should say I wanna think that my students would look at a situation and, and go, hmm, you know, back in my class with good old James Mott, how would he have tackled this if this was a question I was asking? And they, they take that into the thought pattern of prepping for a dive. Yeah, but they have to have been able to hear it over the rest of the bar when you were teaching it. <laughs> well, if they wouldn't have showed over up the music, late, if they wouldn't have showed up late. They wouldn't have had yeah. to get up to buy the next round. Yes, true, true, Dad. Oh well. With that being said, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's uh, you, you want all good instructors. I think they they want their students to go away with a good image of their instructor and do ask that question. What would so-and-so do, whoever, what would my instructor have done in this circumstance? It's a good thing to ask, but ultimately it's, you know, again, you have to tell them, ultimately you are making the decision. Well, yeah, yeah. I can't be with you your, on your every Your brain dive. has to be there. Yes. Yeah, good point. Because I, you look at, you know, uh, some open water students go down and do a, uh, a dive in one of the 
beautiful caverns in northern Florida, and they go down and they finally hit the sign down there, yeah. the Grim Reaper sign that says don't go any further, you know there's students that go further, and the, you know there's students that get to that sign and go, I know better. I would like to think that the the attitude and the impression that I've imparted on my students, they would get there and go. they, they would say, yeah. I don't have the experience, I don't have the equipment, I don't have the education to take this right. any further. I know my limitations. Yeah, even if I do go in and I come back and I live, what have I truly it's gained? It's not successfully it's doing not that a, dive. It's not a good dive. You, right. What have you really gained from it? Yeah, you've gone a little further, but you haven't gained how to do that dive safely. You haven't gained any education, and you definitely have not become a quote-unquote cave diver. You're not a cave diver because you've you've pushed that limit a little. Yeah, and just you've like just you, pushed your bar. Yeah, and just like when you're uh, you go to 140 feet on the, the, the deep dive in Belize, um, it, it doesn't make you a deep diver. No, you just happened to <laughs> break the limit and you lived. Yes. And that just, I mean, that just goes to the forgiveness when you, yeah, and when you're, scuba diving. Your, your preparation and your planning was the yeah. same as if you were just swimming around in the pool is when you did that deep dive. Right, and nothing happened, thankfully. You sh- yeah, and, hopefully and you, you live. At some point you, re- you should realize... Yeah. I'm not doing this right. But you're actually doing damage to your own mentality, your own your own diving mentality, which is you're pushing your own personal bar of mistakes. You know, you have all that threshold, that threshold where, oh, I can I can break the rules to this degree and still live. Well, in class we teach you, you know, open water stayed at 60 feet and above, and the direct limit is 130. And so you come out of class and you're open water certed and you go down to 140. Well, now you've just like broken all those innate thresholds that we put in the class. You've broken them. Your new threshold, because you lived, is 140. Boom. Now you're going to break that one again because you've proven sure, that's what to, you do. You're going to try to push it to 150. Fortunately or unfortunately, no, no mistakes happened. No bad things happened. But one day it's going to and you won't know how to handle it because you've never yeah, been able you're, you're, to you're or taking, never had to. Yeah, you're taking tools for the deep end of the swimming pool and you're using them in beyond recreational limitations of, of, of scuba in general in 130 plus feet of water. Right. And this also goes to people who are teaching diving that aren't instructors. They have no idea of the potential problems that they teach into people. Because I've, I've seen this. I know people that will take newer divers or take divers or even non-divers diving but they're not instructors. They've never been through an instructor course. They know instructors. They've, of course, dealt with instructors because they had full classes. But oh, I can they teach don't, you. Yeah, they don't believe they need to know what an instructor knows. Well, there you go. Yeah, so they've got a lot of you know diving experience themselves, but they're not instructors. I get where you're going, right? Yeah. Because they're don't know what they, you are don't gonna, know. they are going to come in with the wrong... They're giving the wrong attitude to the people. Because all they're yeah, passing it, on is, again, a new threshold of, of mistake. It, and, it, and it goes away from the what we were talking about earlier of yeah. reading the student and yes. really giving the student what the student needs mm-hmm. rather than what you want to just throw it at them. The corollary to that is just because you're not an instructor doesn't mean you can't teach somebody something, you know, a skill or whatnot, show them how. I mean, be the example kind of thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But at the same time, yeah, there, there, there's something in an instructor well, you, yes, you don't go to the training for nothing. You definitely aren't going into instructor school to learn the skills per se, right? Correct. You may learn you how to do them, that. yes, an instructor quality or slow them down and, and the reasons why. But, yeah, you should already have that down pat. So what are you learning in instructor school then? How to teach. That's what you're learning, how to teach people. And all the f***ing rules, all the ways. And how to fill out liability waivers. Yes. Okay, well, hey, that was a great dive. Thanks, Lee, for buddying up with us. I wish old Lee was around still to sign uh, my logbook posthumously. Posthumously, thank Posthumously. you. Posthumously. <laughs> Maybe we could get the ghost of Lee to <laughs> sign our logbook. Uh, sometimes you take a joke and you just go a little too far. <laughs> you just thanks, Lee. There's a there's this little line that's funny, and then it goes just a little too far. <laughs> Was right over it. That's why I have no friends. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Lee. Thanks. It was a good article. That was a good, good, dive. good choice, Jamesy, old boy.
Okay, guys. Uh, James so, uh, Mott believes he had a good choice. James Mott thinks that was a good dive. So, yeah, uh, so. until next, uh, until next week. Safe diving, and uh, don't you go changing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good sign-off motto besides safe diving. Stick with it. That's good. Don't right, die, and just don't go dying. Don't you go dying on me now. You hear? <laughs> Y'all come back now. How about we uh, steal the Beverly Hillbillies sign off? Y'all come back now. Y'all come back diving now. You here? <laughs> We're the Quarry Hillbillies. <laughs> Starring James Mott as. Do you want to be Jethro or Jed? I'll be Jed because I'm old. You can be Jethro. I'll be Jethro. But you're you're a smart Jethro. guy. You're not you're not like a old dumb old happy Jethro. You could be Ellie Mae. No, LMA? you ain't Ellie Mae. Trust me. I'm gonna short, I know I'm Ellie Mae, and you up. ain't no Ellie Mae. I'm shorting my shorts up. I'll be Ellie Mae. Okay, signing off.